Politicoast was recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Coquitlam peoples. British Columbia, I've seen your mountains high, seen your pretty rainbows and your blue crystal skies, watched your winding rivers as they flow around the bend. To me you're not a stranger, you'll always be a friend. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politicos. Today is January 23rd, 2024. I'm Ian Bushfield. I'm coming to you again solo this week as Scott needs a little bit more time for his personal issues, but he'll be back in a week or two and we'll get right back into our usual analysis. But this week I have recorded a little bit early as I have a special interview with Alex Usher, higher education expert, who will be talking about the changes in international student permits that are coming down the pipe. Before we get into that and my intro to that, patreon.com slash politicoast help keep this show going and help us grow. Or if you can't afford to donate and support us, go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and throw us a five-star review. That would be great. Let's preface my interview with Alex Usher with some of the facts. I didn't have a ton of time with him, so I want to go through the announcement so that it's nice and laid out for you. Yesterday, Monday, Mark Miller, the federal immigration minister, announced a series of changes to international student permits that are starting this year. These are rapid changes that many have been kind of expecting, but no one was 100% sure if we're coming down the pipe, and they're pretty sweeping. First off, there's a two-year cap on new study permits that will result in 360,000 approved study permits this year. This is roughly a 30 to 35% drop in what was approved previous year. This is taking us back to 2022 levels, I believe. And these are going to be allocated to the provinces based on population. Not all provinces have equal numbers of foreign international students, as you'll hear in the interview. So this primarily hits Ontario, BC, and Nova Scotia. Second, the provinces are going to have to issue letters of attestation for the students they accept, basically saying what schools they are approved to go in. Uh, and this means that the intake is paused until March 31st as provinces have to spin up these new systems immediately. So the federal immigration minister just gave a lot of work to all of the post-secondary education ministers across this country. As well, starting in September, the federal government is no longer going to issue postgraduate work permits to students studying under curriculum licensing arrangements. We get into a little bit about what this means with Alex, and in essence, it means that those students who are seeking to go through colleges that are private colleges but have been licensed by public institutions, this is a big thing that's happening in Ontario, are no longer going to be able to get a job and a work permit right after they finish that program. Uh, the minister claims that these programs are notorious for lacking oversight and do not provide the quality academic experience that Canada is renowned for. Uh, we'll talk more about this. Additionally, the minister has announced they are no longer going to issue work permits to spouses of international students, apart from those in master's and doctoral programs. Uh, there's That's an important caveat there. A lot of the changes don't affect graduate programs, and I didn't manage to get into this into the interview, but I expect that's the federal government viewing most of the graduate programs as existing at public institutions, uh, the big universities we all know of. These are a lot of changes. Uh, I think we had a great conversation, and we'll take it over to there in a second. The other thing I want to mention is Rob Shaw has a great piece in the ORCA looking at 
BC post-secondary education minister Selena Robinson's response to this. She, I think, had it in mind that this was coming forward and has announced that BC is going to focus on targeting the 280 private colleges and universities across the province, most of which are in Metro Vancouver, and really starting to look at how to curtail the international students going through those approaches as opposed to UBC and Simon Fraser University and the other public institutions. Further details of that are expected in the next week or so, and I hopefully won't have to update this intro to give those details before this podcast drops on Friday. Let's throw it over to my interview with Alex Usher now. Well, joining me now on Politicoast is Alex Usher. Alex is the president of Higher Education Strategy Associates. He's the lead author on the annual State of Post-Secondary Education in Canada. He writes One Thought to Start Your Day newsletter and is still quite active on Twitter at Alex Usher H-E-S-A. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. As I wrote in my email to you, I've wanted to have you on the show for a little while to talk about post-secondary education as you're possibly one of the preeminent experts in the country on this topic. And Given the news this week from the federal immigration minister about the cap that's coming on international student permits, uh, it seemed like the perfect time to get a bit of background and figure out what exactly is happening. And so before we get into the specifics of the announcement that came down the pipe yesterday, we're recording here on Tuesday, let's figure out what exactly the situation has become. Because it wasn't always the case that we had, what is it, a million international students coming to the country a year? Uh, yeah, so that million is not, they're not all in, in public post-secondary. You've got elementary and secondary in there. You've got people who are in private schools. You've got people who are in language schools. Uh, I think the latest enrollments that we have suggest that it's about, uh, you know, at any given time, it's probably about a half million close to anyway in public post-secondary institutions uh, and the rest would be in some and, and and some of those people are actually are actually spouses right but they're still here on the student visas so so there's a variety of things that gets covered under that one million um, but yeah I mean let me put it this way the collectively provincial governments have not spent one new real dollar that is over and above inflation on post-secondary education since the financial crisis in 2009-2010. And so literally, and and most of them have kept pretty close tabs on tuitions. In the case of Ontario, they've actually reduced tuition by about 25% after inflation. Um, And so you look at all, you put all that together and you realize that actually universities and colleges haven't had a raise in 15 years. And so how do they keep going, you ask? How do they keep paying their, you know, their professors ever more money? How do they keep, you know, having more student services and bigger buildings and all the rest of it? Uh, and the answer is international student fees, because that's the only piece of swing, unregulated income that there is, market-based income that they can do, because they can't raise fees domestically. They can't get more government money from government. So that's the only option. And so what we've seen over the last 15 years is a gradual uh, internationalization of higher education finance. And one of the really interesting things that that does is it has given the federal minister of immigration who, who issues the visa permits phenomenal power over higher education in this country. I mean, we, you know, uh, there's a certain left-wing view that, 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 you know, all important issues should, should come out of, you should be run out of Ottawa. And I think, you know, ironically what's happened is that the provinces by not funding their post-secondary institutions have de facto handed 
an awful lot of power uh, to the Minister of Immigration. And uh, this week, the minister exercised it. And so beyond the public institutions, there's a broader trend of growing private institutions and private institutions, especially in Ontario, I know, that are partnering with public institutions. And they've been accused of basically offering diploma mills. There's been some like ugly stories out of Ontario, I know in particular, of these institutions essentially vulturizing people from developing countries, bringing them here and then like leaving them on the streets. Can you kind of break down what's true in this and what's actually going on? Yeah. Uh, so look, I so I'm skeptical about some of these stories and I think they are they are put about in part because some people think that the word private and education uh, should never be put in a sentence without the word shady next to it. Um, there are three types of privates I think that we could talk about here, right? So you have private universities. So they're, they're degree-granting institutions. Um, uh, University of Western Canada is obviously the big one in, in Vancouver, UWC. Um, uh, but Northeastern, which is a foreign provider, but they're providing universities. So those are, you know, those are legitimate institutions and they, you know, they pass through all that and they're giving degrees. Okay. So that's one type of institution. And I don't think, I don't think there are many credible claims that those institutions are a problem. You have private institutions that are bringing, uh, private vocational institutions that are bringing in international students for eight month programs. Right, so they they tend to offer certificate programs. Those are ones are really hard to get a handle on. I don't. I've never seen any good news, not much good news, uh, tracking of what's going on there, and the statistical tracking from the federal government is terrible. I suspect that a lot of those, uh, and that would include language schools, for instance. I suspect that a lot of those, that's probably where the bulk of the really bad stuff is happening. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but I, I think that's the case. The intermediate case, and it's an interesting one, are these public-private colleges, uh, which are mostly but not exclusively in Ontario. It's where the, the biggest numbers of them are. And what that is is a, a public college uh, makes a contractual arrangement with some private entity to do its teaching in a place far away, usually, from the home campus. So the biggest users in Ontario have been places like Northern College in Timmins or Sioux College in Sault Ste. Marie or Canador College in, I hope I get this right, North Bay. Um, um, and they need to escape the North. Okay, so they have, uh, they're trying to offer high-quality programs in sparsely populated areas, which means you're not going to get the kind of class sizes you need, all that kind of stuff. So the examples, the equivalents in BC would be places like Coast Mountain College or, uh, you know, Northern Lights or Selkirk. I mean, those those kinds of places that are actually quite a ways from from the main centers. But And so what, what they've done in Ontario is they started opening up these colleges. They do deals with private and they'd say, we're licensing you our curriculum. So we'll be the people, people will get our name on their diploma, but we, you're certifying that you're teaching our diploma and all that kind of stuff. Now, this is where a lot of the opprobrium has come. And so the idea is, is that they are diploma mills. Maybe, but that's public curriculum you're talking about, right? And there's no, 
I mean, and there's not a lot of evidence one way or the other about how well that stuff is being caught is being taught because the provincial government in Ontario has deliberately avoided creating any quality control mechanisms for these institutions. I mean, all they sort of said is, it's, well, it's the, pro it's, the, it's the individual college's business to do the quality assurance, which I don't think is very helpful. Um, the the Wynn government tried to shut those down in the last couple of years that they were in power. And one of the very first things the Ford government did was to reverse that order um, and allowed these things to proliferate. And then last year, I believe, it was maybe it was late 2022, they issued a new order saying, not only are we going to allow these to proliferate, we're going to allow every college outside the GTA to have a 7,500 person student limit. So you're talking about well over 100,000 students in these uh, institutions. And, you know, some of them are probably okay. Some of them, are, but we have no idea of knowing who is and who isn't. But I think that's where... The issue is, and that's the place where uh, the federal government in its announcements yesterday, they really zoned in on those institutions and basically said, uh, yeah, we're not going to allow anyone coming out of those institutions to get a postgraduate. Yeah. Uh, so let's visa. touch on that as the last bit of background that I think is necessary because mm -hmm. one of the things that's come up is this challenge of people come to Canada to study, but then they also need Canadian work experience if they want to use that as a pathway to residency and citizenship and work here. And so there have been mm -hmm. changes in the Harper mm -hmm. years I read in your blog that I'll link in our show notes. It's a very great background mm -hmm. read as well about trying to find ways to allow people who are studying here to work. And then there were also changes during the pandemic because there, we needed more staff in a number of roles. And this, I think, to some feels like it's a loophole for people going into low-wage work who they don't want to use the temporary foreign worker program or just pay more. So what are your views on how the student program is being used as a workforce, I guess? Yeah. So there's two issues here, right? And, and one has to do with what work students can do while they're here. Uh, and there was a temporary measure in the middle of the, it's hard to remember now, but 18 months ago, we were all talking about, you know, the great resignation and, and, you know, workforce shortages. And in the middle of that, the Fed said, okay, we'll let international students work 40 hours a week instead of 20. Now that, uh, I believe that expired last month, forgotten exactly. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was always a temporary measure. Uh, but that certainly seems to have supercharged um, the visa applications. And so I think there are, and that spreads to, uh, you know, and so you get stories about students not, you know, coming here and then not showing up on a student visa and then not showing up. I don't think we have any good data on it. I know some people suggest that that number is 19% of all students do that. I, it's a it's a brutally flawed, it's a misunderstanding of what, of, of the way Statistics Canada has portrayed certain data. I don't doubt that there are people doing that, but I, I, I think it's probably overstated. Um, and then there's the second issue of whether those people can stay afterwards, right? So we have this whole postgraduate work program. Now, that's what came in. That was the Harper government, and that goes back, uh, I think, to their first term or before they got a majority anyway. Um, and, and I dislike people talking about this as a backdoor to citizenship because mm -hmm. it's a front door. It was, that's exactly the purpose of this was to say, you know, people noticed there was a problem 20 years ago. Gosh, these, uh, our new immigrants don't seem to get good Canadian jobs very quickly. 
And so they said, well, why don't we create a new class of immigrant and, and you know, where, where they go to school here. And so they'll get experience as they're, you know, not a bad idea. But when they did that, they were assuming that most students would be university students. And what's gradually happened, I would say, uh, since about 2014, but certainly in, in ever increasing numbers, like just, you know, it's accelerated every year. Um, uh, community colleges have taken advantage of that. And it's not as clear that those students um, meet our workforce needs, right? Because a lot of them are studying in very sort of generic uh, business programs. I think if we found a way to let them get into apprenticeship programs so they could help, uh, you know, uh, deal with bottlenecks in, in construction and things like that, that would be a winning program. But that's not what we're doing. Because by and large, the, the private programs that are showing up are not um, teaching in capital-intensive areas like trades. They're, they're trying to do it as much as possible in the cheapest programs possible, and business is about as cheap as it gets. Um, so, I mean, that's, what's, that's the secondary issue, right? So there's an issue about, about students working while they're here. And yes, I agree that for the last 18 months, that has looked a lot like a temporary foreign worker program. And the second is the postgraduate work program, which is a step towards permanent residency or can be a step towards permanent residency. One thing about the, the change they made this week is, is some kind of change in the program was necessary because there's only about 50,000 spots a year available for people who come through that pathway to what they call the, the candidate experience class. And again, that number made sense five, six years ago when that was kind of the number of students coming in and staying and going on. But just the flood of students that have come in over the last two, three years especially meant that the pipeline towards through PGWP towards uh, the experience class was much larger than anything the citizenship, um, uh, the, the Canadian experience class uh, program was able to handle. So they had to do something to cut that off eventually. And this so is what they're doing. They cut that off. They announced this two-year cap on international student permits, 360,000 undergraduates per year for two years. Uh, you know, I've seen reporting that's a 35% reduction. Why just two years, do you think? Like, do, do you think? I have a liter well, literally no idea. Um, they had this, uh, so they had a plan A back in the fall, which is that they were going to create a system of uh, Trusted institutions, which was a really dumb name because it implies you don't trust the other one. Um, and, and it was basically they were going to have, I've forgotten the number, 13 or 14 indicators, quantitative indicators, because it was going to be really scientific. Uh, data, science. A anyway, um, they were dumb indicators. And I don't think they would have... Um, like, in a sense, it was a deeply under-theorized exercise. They didn't have a good idea of what a good institution looked like. They just had a bunch of data indicators that they thought would sh tell them who they were. But actually, some of them pointed in different directions. They weren't correlated with each Like, it was a really dumb idea. And, and some of it required data that institutions just didn't collect. And so that's what they moved to 2020, moved back to 2026. And I think what they're saying with this two years thing is that in two years... Uh, we'll have a new system for deciding, you know, for dividing up the good and the bad institutions. Um, and we won't need this system of provinces uh, offering uh, spaces under some kind of, you know, provincial cap. 
that's what they're saying is two years. And I, I guess they're saying they're going to revisit the, the size of the overall cap at the same time. I really hope they don't do that. And I've told them that, that I actually think that what they've got right now is better than uh, what they're thinking about doing in 2026 because uh, it puts, I would far rather have provincial governments who have actual authority over post-secondary responsible for saying, here's where the international students can go than some uh, half-baked algorithm uh, that comes out of a set of under- It reminds me of when I was in undergrad at the University of Alberta and the president then was Indira Samraseka and she had as her goal that the U of A would be a top 20 university by 2020. And no one ever really Mm -hmm. understood what she meant. There was like some like magic ranking. She was like, we'll just be top 20 in the world. And it's like, by whose list? And what does that mean? And uh, yeah, I yeah, know there's, well, there's lots multiple of lists. lists, right? As long as you make, as long as you make, as long yeah, as you I make one of them, did, it's though. okay. Um, um, but uh, no, yeah, no, you're getting closer. U of A is getting yeah. closer now, but it's, um, not, it's still not there. Yeah, back to the changes that are coming. I mean, one of the questions I did want to ask you before I let you go is the focus on this was the challenge that these students are potentially having on the housing market, and do you think that is uh, real, or is it more of a, you know, quasi-xenophobic boogeyman that people are trying to exploit? I know that's. I think there are some. I think there are some quasi-xenophobes who are trying to make uh, hay with this. Um, I, I look. I mean, look. You can't blame international students for a housing shortage. They weren't here. They're not the ones not building houses, right? Like so. So rural one, go build houses. Um, were they exacerbating a shortage? Yes, they were. Absolutely. Um, and it's not a shortage that just affects them. I know people talk about, you know, the terrible housing conditions that international students have. And I don't, I, I think those are all true. I think the more serious charge is that in effect, what's happening is that community colleges in particular, universities to a lesser extent, um, are imposing a tax on their own communities. Right? It's not just international students who are paying more. It's all renters who are paying more. Why? Because this is the way the, the institution wants to get its money. That's, that's the really unconscionable part about all this. Right, I, th- I really think that this is... And why the PPP stuff was so terrible was because, you know, at least... Um, you know, if Lankera brings in more international students, well, the community in, you know, that part of Vancouver can come in and, and talk to the president of Lankera and say, what are you doing and, and how can we manage this better? In Ontario, what was happening was you had institutions from Timmins and, and North Bay who were setting up shop in Brampton and exacerbating housing shortages. And who was it that the local population was supposed to talk to about this? Like, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. And, and I think, um, I, I mean, I know the feds asked the provinces to cut it out. And the province of Ontario chose not to cut it out because they thought... Um, uh, you know, to, not to put too fine a point on it, uh, public f- public funding of a public college is a public good, but foreign funding of a public college public college is a public great. Um, you know, I mean, Ontario spends for every dollar per student that every other province spends on colleges, Ontario spends forty four cents. Like this is this has been about enabling the province to evade its funding responsibilities and nothing more than that. And so now the you know, uh, the the province is going to have a lot to do in the next well, let's three just, or four weeks to try and figure out what to do. Yeah, with, let's just finish that. there. What do the 
provinces need to do next? Like this is primarily an issue for Ontario, BC and Nova Scotia, as I understand it. The other provinces aren't as uh, invested in this approach to funding their education system. Is it simply, like you said, off the top, a matter of actually making up these funding shortfalls that we've been shortchanging for 15 years? Well, the immediate thing is that processing of visa of international student visas has stopped and it will stop until the province sets up a system where it allocates spaces to each institution uh, and can issue a letter verifying that each individual student is under that cap. Um, and I think the province has been told they've got until March 31st to figure that out. Um, the caps are being distributed proportionally across the country. Uh, according to population. And so the ones that have disproportionately large international student bases, as you said, Ontario, BC, Nova Scotia, they're going to have to figure out how to distribute them. Um, Who knows? I mean, like a lot of things come into play at this point. So in Ontario, you know, if they're going to nuke the PGWPs at the the public-private partnerships, that actually makes Ontario's job a lot easier. But what if public colleges take them over themselves? Right. Like there's a lot of stuff that's got like Ontario. Who knows what's going to happen? Because if Ontario, if the public colleges, I mean, notionally, public colleges have got uh, catchment areas. But if, you know, if Northern College takes over the college they've got in Scarborough directly, well, they can keep taking those students. Right. Like, so who knows? So we've got so that's got to play itself out. Um, and then you've got the question of how it gets distributed among the other institutions. Who knows? In BC, you know, I was just I, I'm writing for tomorrow's blog about this. I'm like, there's there's other policy issues that you could do. So an NDP government looks at the situation in the Lower Mainland, and it says, actually, there's a lot of private colleges here. Um, they may choose to uh, be more generous to the public colleges when it comes to distributing these permits than it does to the private colleges. Um, It might also take the view that this is an opportunity to shift the relative load of international students out of the lower mainland and into places like Victoria or Terrace or, you know, uh, I don't know, Castlegar, where you've got uh, colleges that are uh, where housing prices are not quite as insane. Uh, Victoria, actually, Victoria is the one major city where rents have been going down in the last two and a half years. It's it's uh, so. You know what I mean? Like, so there's, there's other policy issues and we don't know what they're going to do. Provinces don't know what they're going to do. They've only had 48 hours notice on this, right? Like, so, so there's a lot of stuff that people are going to try over the next month or two, which will have very big consequences for the institution. And at this, at this moment, they're very difficult to, uh, yeah, I know BC, uh, Selena Robinson, our minister of post-secondary education was talking yesterday that she's got an announcement coming out. I think they have been working a little bit on this file, but now the fire has been lit under their asses to get something out pretty soon. But I know you've got to go. And so I appreciate your time. I think that was super informative. Uh, I'll put links to your Twitter and your blog and your website in our show notes. And I hope you have a great afternoon. Fantastic. And that has been Playtoast. Find links to everything we talked about at playtoast.ca. Support the show and get access to our Slack channel at patreon.com slash Our intro music credit is Beautiful British Columbia by Serge Plotnikoff. Politoast is a production of Legend Boot Media and editing services are provided by CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Thanks for listening. Thank you.